Welcome back to Squats and Science Podcast, episode 21. I'm Coach Joe, and I'm with Coach Arian. How's it going, man? Not much. Same old stuff since uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, there's not not much going on. <laughs> that's, that's basically the, the, the lockdown. It's like, I don't know what day it is. I don't know what week it is. Everything is just the same. Yeah, I mean, that just means you're being responsible, so that's a good thing. But you guys had, like, somewhat good news with the gyms up there? I don't know what it is. <laughs> there was, like, good news from the governor, but bad news from the mayor? Yeah, the governor said um, that gyms can open as early as next week and as late as September 2nd. But what that means is it's op- it's up to the localities. So he put it basically in the city's hands, and then, like, two hours after his press conference yesterday, de Blasio said, gyms are not opening anytime soon. So no fucking idea what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, who knows what anytime soon means. Yeah, no no idea. Um, we're, We're continuing our, like, plan as is. Um, which was to build an outdoor space. So hopefully in the next week or two, we'll actually have a functioning outdoor space with the um, the comp racks and plates and barbells. So we can at least start getting some people back in um, legally because it's outdoors. And then um, maybe in a week we'll find out like actually what that means. Uh, but yeah, I don't. It seems like we're getting close. You know, people are anxious and it's uh, it's. It's frustrating when you get conflicting news like that, but... Yeah, but, I mean, like, opening everything up back to normal next week would have been, like, a uh, very quick and and difficult feat anyways. So maybe, yeah, opening up the outdoor thing and then being able to open up indoors maybe in September would be, like, a nice transition back. Yeah, I don't think we would have been able to prep everything for next week. Um, Just because there's some coordinating... With our, with we partner with a CrossFit gym and, and we have to coordinate with them a little bit. And also we're building a new gym in the process of all this. So the new gym isn't going to be ready, obviously, because there's a ton of work to do. And then also we have to kind of um, just hammer out everything with the other space. But we hopefully will get this outdoor thing situated um, and then people can some car, come start lifting. And um, we also have the boot camps, which... Uh, people have been coming to a lot of my athletes have been coming to and and I think they it people actually like them a lot like powerlifters specifically because it's just just something different like has the social aspect they get to see all their friends that they like never you know, that they haven't seen since March and um, you know we bring out the trap bar we bring out the dumbbells and stuff so they're still getting to do some weight training obviously you know it's not. It doesn't compare if you're a competitive powerlifter, but anything is better than nothing at this point, I think. Yeah, they're desperate for anything, but I think the uh, 33% capacity is also interesting, too, of, like, you guys are going to be fighting with the CrossFit for capacity, or how do you decide who gets uh, how many people in there? Yeah, so that's that's part of the conversation that we need to have, um, yeah. and it's that's what, that's what complicates this even more than what's already complicated, so... Yeah, and then the the last bit I was going to mention is I think since the last episode, you guys made the announcement of the new gym location. Yeah, so that's public now. It's out, out in the open. Um, 
we signed a lease on a huge facility. Um, somebody's at my door. Uh, <laughs> this guy's gonna get buzzing. Hold on. Can you get buzz? Can you get that? Sorry, guys. Um, you can just cut it out. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Oh, the signed, square footage. Yeah, we signed a lease on a, in a huge facility. Uh, it's five around five thousand square f- foot. Um, planning to do strongman. Planning to do expanding our powerlifting um, equipment and program. Weightlift, upping our weightlifting. Um, bodybuilding. We have a whole section for bodybuilding. In-house PT. Uh, hopefully, in-house massage therapist. Uh, private training room so this is kind of thinking like um, post-covid landscape but if people aren't comfortable training in a public space they can rent out a a room that we have and train in private it's also for personal trainers it's going to be really nice Um, it's our biggest gym yet Um, it's our biggest project yet but uh, I think people are so hungry to get back to the gym and that when we unveil this this new gym it's just going to be people are going to be super hyped on it we've already started work on it um i was there a couple days doing some demo work tommy's been there every day doing demo work and and getting the space ready so yeah big big news but um you know comes with a lot of stress during all this other stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that 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 square footage when i heard it was pretty crazy because like the current Williamsburg location, the downstairs is like under 2,000 square feet. Yeah. And then uh, Boynton Barbell, the, the first gym that we have opened up, is like 3,000 square feet. And so it's like, damn, you're taking those and you're going even bigger. And so now you're going to have like 10 to 12 squat racks or power cages in there. And people aren't going to be rushing to all get one rack uh, when it gets packed in there in the afternoon. So it's going to be pretty crazy. Yeah, it's... Um, I think it's the biggest strength-focused um, space in New York. I, I'm that's off the top of my head, but I can't think of any other any other gym that's that that, that is that big and also diversity. So just it has everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, dude, when we when this thing's finished, it's gonna have it's gonna have something for everyone, and it's gonna have a ton of space so um, people can just get in and lift and um we're going to be up in the coaching program so i'm kind of taking a back seat on the management stuff of the gym so i could just focus on coaching which means i'll have more more time for in-person stuff uh, more time to take on more clients more time to dedicate to my clients um so yeah it's going to be good yeah and then the the last thing i guess i'll mention before we go into the actual episode we don't want to turn this all into an episode is the news you guys posted about physio strength, I didn't even know about it. So I go look at my Instagram and I see that you guys are gonna have physio strength in there too, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm super hyped on that. Um, I refer. It's it always I always have to like caveat it because it always seems like I get like an incentive to send people to Clinton, but <laughs> but but I don't. Clinton also is my PT. Um, he's I trust him, and the, and that's basically the, the like. The basis of it is I, I trust him above all. He knows what he's talking about. He knows uh, he knows how to treat powerlifters. So I already send a lot of my athletes to him when they have injuries and when they have issues. Um, so now that, that we're going to have him in-house, it's it's amazing. Like literally if I'm training, somebody's training and, and something's not feeling good, if he has time, they can make an appointment, they can go see him right away. Um, 
uh, and Clinton is one of the nicest people I've ever met. So it, it's, yeah, um, it's really exciting. Super exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like traditionally athletes and, and especially strength athletes like don't like doctors because the first thing a doctor will tell you is like stop lifting weights, don't do anything, like lay down in bed. And so then it's good to have someone like Clinton and there's other ones out there as well that are actually like lifters themselves and then they know how to work around your injury while still being able to do some kind of lifting and not just like put yourself in a bubble. So yeah, yeah. he seems like a, a, a great guy in the area. He showed up to our competition in March and uh, set up a table. People seem interested talking to him and everything like that. So seems pretty cool. Yeah, he's he's super intelligent when it comes to, to like um, PT, obviously, but also just his like the way he treats people. Um, and the way he he uh, just his approach his approach to, to getting people through injuries it, it's um, I, I think it's one of the best but you know uh, so yeah let's get to it let's finish off this series yeah what uh, what are we doing what, what's going on we're doing uh, the the final lift my personally my least favorite the best bench variations it's because you got long arms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got I got long arms, but also like less muscle mass and upper body, and I've always just been the, the worst at bench. It's like my bench games were always the slowest of hitting like a one plate, two plate, three plate. Um, but I think one of the positives out of that, which I always like try and tell people when it comes to like seminars or listening to someone, is like listening to the, the person's worst lift and how they're able to build it up, how they're building up their weakest link, not just like what they're naturally good at because what they're naturally good at, maybe they did anything to improve. But find someone who like sucked at a lift and worked hard and tested everything out to build it up and ask them what they did that worked. Yeah, uh, I also hate benching a lot. <laughs> Even though on, on paper I should be a good bencher because I have super short arms. Uh, I've just always struggled with it. It's always been like an uphill battle. It's taken me years to make like any kind of progress on it. Um, I've made so, so just back. So and you're forth. blaming Jordan and me, huh? So you're blaming Jordan and me? No. The funny, the funny, <laughs> the funny thing is, I made the most progress in the shortest, the shortest amount of time when I, Jordan first started coaching me. Like the first like six or seven months, I made a huge amount of progress on bench, um, and then it stalled for a while. But that's also because I had my shoulder was pretty fucked up for like a year or so. And then that last two blocks that we did together going into that that meet was the best. Like that's probably the best I've ever benched. Um, every session felt really good. I was making PRs, even though on meet day I. I whiffed and choked. <laughs> uh, leading into that meet, I it just that that's the most progress I made. So, I think that's probably a testament to finding somebody who knows how to teach you how to bench properly. Because Jordan taught me a lot of the technical stuff that I was missing, and then programming. Um, those two blocks that we did, they worked really well for me, and uh, I made a ton of progress. So, number one, before we talk about anything get yourself a coach get a good coach who knows what they're doing <laughs> yeah and and we're doing the variations here but obviously you have to have the competition bench down and you have to have your technique down so i think yeah part of it with you was the competition bench technique was like figuring out how to get the full body tightness and especially being tight with the bar on the chest and not like bouncing it or sinking or anything like that 
And then the programming aspect, not only the programming for bench, but I'm thinking it was also programming for squat because you just have to deal with so much pain in your shoulders and elbows that then you couldn't bench as much as you wanted or as technically sound as you wanted. So then it just messed up your technique more and, and you weren't able to do as much volume to build up your strength. So you're built for bench press, but maybe it's just that figuring those two things out, technique and programming to let you to be able to actually train the bench press. Yeah, 100%. It, it took me... I was, it took me like a year and a half to figure out that I can't low bar squat three times a week. I just, it kills my shoulders. And then, yeah, it, it had carryover to the bench. So when my shoulder was really messed up, when I was doing all that squatting, I, I made huge squat progress during that time, but my, I, I, my shoulder was always fucked and I couldn't, I couldn't bench properly. Like my elbow would always like flare into this weird position and, um, Ever since I've stopped and, and we started doing more high bar and less low bar, I actually have uh, have really good control there. And I think my technique, I think my technique on bench is probably the best it's ever been. And uh, it's like, it's just like you said, it, it was a combination of one, learning um, learning to be more technically sound and then two, figuring out what works best for me. For me. Um, and yeah, it, maybe it's not just your bench programming. It could be carryover from the squat. Um, so it's definitely something to look at, especially if you're an aggressive low bar squatter or you have shoulder issues or shoulder pains and stuff like that. Um, so uh, let's get into it. What are we, we going to talk about first? First, as always, is, is how to improve your technique. And I think part of the issue with people when it comes to bench press technique is like when we're just like generally training for fitness in the gym before we even know powerlifting exists, we always do a touch and go bench or maybe if you're like a complete brand new to, to bench pressing you don't even touch your chest so then it becomes a big change when it comes to powerlifting and the competition bench where you need to pause on the chest and so people don't know about how to pause on the chest and how to maintain tightness um, and even when they do their touch and go bench it might be a bounce and go as i like to call it i like to hound people on bouncing really hard off the chest rather than doing a light touch and maintaining tightness yeah. So with the same thing as the squat, the same thing as the deadlift with the bench press, the first thing you want to do to work on your technique is to then do a tempo, especially during the eccentric. So you can control your position and your tightness and see what it feels like, especially in that bottom position to stay tight and not bounce off the chest. Yeah, we, we love tempo work. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. And also I've, I found the tempo on the bench helps, um, helps newer trainees figure out where their elbows are supposed to be because that's a big one from a technical aspect that it can cause you to miss out on, a, on some decent kilos if you're flaring too hard or if you're tucking too hard uh, and if you're a newer athlete it, it, if it's you kind of don't know it you're still figuring it out and maybe the appropriate reception is not there uh, but if you just slow it down and you have somebody coaching you who can give you an eye on it you can start to figure out where your elbow is supposed to be during the movement and and that's huge i mean if you can get that down in the beginning um you're gonna have you're gonna be ahead of the game for sure and it's difficult to do if you're just slam slamming going or just regular benching so yeah tempo uh for bench i use usually use three one three um in the beginning or three one zero depends yeah, and if you haven't listened to the other episodes, the first number is the 
downward phase or an eccentric phase, the second number is how long you're pausing on the chest, and then the third number is how long you're taking on the upward phase or concentric phase. So sometimes you do have to slow down the upward phase as well so the person can learn how to stay in position, but as they get better at it, then you don't have to, and so you can focus on controlling it down to the chest, pausing on the chest, and exploding up as fast as possible. Uh, so yeah, I, I like those same ones like 310 or 313, depending on what they need. And also I would say with the downward phase, the three seconds or five seconds or whatever you're doing is if you're watching someone else do a tempo or you're doing it yourself is make sure you're consistent on the way down. What happens for a lot of people is like they'll control it half of the way or three quarters of the way. And that last bit before they touch their chest, they just kind of like drop it or dump it because again, they're not used to the tightness and maintaining position at bottom position. So they also lack the strength in that bottom position. And all of a sudden they'll just like plop it on their chest. Yeah, and if you're one of those people who learned to bench by, like, heaving, or if you have a habit of heaving, that's, um, you, you're definitely going to want to be conscious of trying to control it once you get to your chest. I, I have a couple athletes who do that, and, and I've had some success using that tempo to get them to stop sinking and heaving. Uh, it's just a bad habit. It works for some people. I'm not, like, you know, it's not like that's just a totally bad thing, but most people are going to get a greater benefit trying to keep tension and controlling it on the chest and also figuring out where to touch, right? Like that's like, that's one of the hardest parts because a lot of that depends on, on limb length, uh, depends on grip width. Um, and if you're new to it, then you're going to be probably be all over the place and just trying to find that sweet spot. Um, yeah, the more control you have, the better for sure. Yeah, I think the uh, position where you're touching and the elbow position are important things to work on, which the tempo helps with because you want to, like you said, try and keep the elbow underneath the bar and it's going to make your forearms be pretty much vertical unless you have a very wide grip. It might be angled out to the side, but it's still underneath the bar. If you are someone who's maybe using a more of a closer grip and maybe shorter arms, you might angle the forearm slightly back towards the face, but you're almost never going to have it where you're angling the forearms towards the toes. But what happens to some people when they, in that last bit, if they try and touch in a bad position, like maybe too low and they'll kind of dump it. And so they'll dump it and the forearms start pointing towards the toes and they have rested on their chest. And so then it becomes difficult to press out of this position, especially pressing in the correct bar path back towards the chest or back towards the face, I mean. So what happens is they'll either push towards your feet or they'll push straight up or they'll they'll try and heave it back into position. So then those things become important with the tempo. It's like feeling out where your elbows are and feeling out where you're touching on your chest if it's the correct spot and being consistent with it. Yeah, totally. Um, it, it just take the time in the beginning to get this down because the sooner you have it locked in, the more progress you're gonna make quicker. Um, what else? We got long pause, so like just a super long hold on the chest. Yeah, so I'd say once they kind of figured out all these little things that we're discussing, then they may not have to do an excessive uh, controlled descent or, or a controlled uh, ascent. So then they can focus on whatever regular descent they want to use and whatever uh, and being as explosive as possible on the way up. But then you can focus on a longer pause on the chest to become more comfortable with that bottom position and more comfortable with staying as tight as possible, keeping your leg drive, squeezing the bar as hard as possible, keeping the bar light on the chest if you are someone who's touching very light. If you are someone who sinks, you're sinking down to where you wanna be and then stopping not to continue to sink. So it helps with focusing on that bottom position, which is where people have the most trouble with. Yeah, yeah, I like the long pause a lot. Um, 
it really forces you if you're if you're not a person who sinks it forces you to hold uh, as much tension as possible because you know if you relax that when you go to press it it's gonna it's gonna be just that much more difficult um, so yeah I think it teaches teaches that maximum tension um, on the chest and holding that it's uncomfortable like that's an uncomfortable thing to do and people avoid it so yeah I use the long pause as well usually like a three or five second something like that obviously yeah, it- sub max weight but yeah, even you can do whatever you want, a two count or five count, whatever terminology you use as you and your coach is fine. But yeah, I try and focus on more is like how long compared to the competition bench. So like if your regular competition bench is a certain length, then maybe a longer pause would be two times that length at least. You don't want to be doing it like, oh, a millisecond longer and then you're pressing. It makes no difference. So maybe two times longer for like a two count. And then if you, if you want to do like a five count, then maybe it would be like three or four times longer than your regular bench. So you can clearly see the difference on video of what your long pause is and then what your competition pause is. Yeah. Um, anything else for technique? The only other thing I was going to mention about the long pause is like, it kind of, I guess, can help with competition technique, like in an actual competition, in that you never know the, who the chief referee is and how long they're gonna hold it on you. Some of them may naturally like wait for the bar to be motionless, and then in their head they say like one Mississippi and then press. So to like again be comfortable with the bar on the chest and pausing longer, it kind of helps so that in a competition if you happen to get someone who pauses you for a long time on the chest, you've already been practicing it so you won't like freak out or, or like all of a sudden relax and, and not be able to hold your breath or not be able to hold your position or anything like that. Yeah, prepare for the worst, right? <laughs> yeah. Prepare for the for the worst ref in the USAPL. <laughs> um, all right, so now we're going to talk about some hypertrophy, right? Yeah, with these next sections, there's a lot more variety with the, the technique. It's really just focusing on, on those two and the competition list. But yeah, with hypertrophy, you get lots of options that you can choose from. So I try to think of like, what are the things I, I put in the most comp, uh, most often? And oftentimes it is about increasing the range of motion or maybe increasing the focus on a particular muscle group. Yeah. So. Um, I was going to say something. Oh. Before we talk about hypertrophy and strength and accessory work, I want to just put this in the beginning is that all of this is focused on obviously getting bigger. Um, I think this is anecdotal, but but uh, but um, the bench is more reliant on, on having more mass uh, and, and just having a little bit more upper body mass. Um, you could see a pretty big gain from it. So... If you're if you're doing this stuff, don't be afraid to eat. Don't be afraid afraid to gain weight. You'll you'll probably see your bench improve. Um, it'll correspond with that. Yeah, the upper body obviously you have less muscle than the lower body, so then it becomes more important to have as much muscle on the upper body as possible. Also, for women, they tend to have less muscle mass on their upper body compared to lower body at like a bigger extreme than the males. So then for the women, it's like whoever has the most muscle mass, like a Jen Thompson is going to have a massive bench. And then you have all these other people that just are very beginners to bench press and very beginners to lifting. So they don't have as much muscle mass and their bench maybe really lags behind their squat and deadlift. Um, the other thing is if you look at some of the biggest benches ever for these bigger guys, they don't necessarily use a huge arch or like a maximum wide grip. They're using maybe more of a moderate 
arch and Margaret grip, but you see how huge their arms are and you see how huge their delts are. And it's like the triceps are very important to a big bench press. So some of the exercises I have in there are very focused on the triceps. Yeah. Um, so what, what are your favorites for your audio is not working? Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. Oh my God. Sorry guys. Got the postman coming five times a day. Um, <laughs> so, what are your favorites for for hypertrophy? So, one of the ones that I pretty much use for every single person, at least once in the training block, is a touch and go bench. So, since our main bench is the competition bench where you're pausing, I consider the touch and go bench a variation. And it's just a small variation where you're taking that pause away, but again, you're still focusing on a light touch and not bouncing it. That just takes away the difficulty of the bottom portion, which will allow you to do a little bit more weight. And it's just a little bit easier to do reps. So it's easier to do eights or tens on touch and go bench than on the pause bench. So I consider that as a variation and the one that I go to all the time. Yeah, it allows you to get more some more volume in. As long as you're not doing the Burke press, the slam and go. <laughs> <laughs> then, then from... Then from there, the other ones that I use uh, fairly often, I wouldn't say as often as touch and go, but maybe still over 50%, maybe even 75% of time, is the feet up bench and the closer grip bench. So for the feet up bench, the idea again is the longer range of motion because you're taking away some of the arch. You're also taking away some of that leg drive. So you're focusing more on upper body strength and hypertrophy, which over here we want hypertrophy. So you're focusing on a longer range of motion and more of a focus on the pecs, delts, and triceps. And then with the closer grip bench, it's uh, focusing a little bit more on triceps since a lot of us are focused on as wide of a grip as possible. A lot of people are max grip. And so, again, the closer grip is going to extend the range of motion and then put a little focus on building the triceps. Yeah, <clears throat> I love the feet up bench. Um, my Larson press is almost as good as my regular bench. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that says about me as a bencher, but <laughs> it, it, uh, it just, it takes a. I think for the Larson press or the feet up bench, whatever you want to call it, it, um, it takes some of the mental workout, and you're just literally just laying down and benching, and you don't really have to think too much about, um, like leg drive and and maintaining like maximal tension because you're just really focused on the the press itself yeah and with that with both of these you can vary however you want so like with the feet up bench you can do it with your feet actually on the bench which still gives you a little bit of stability or you can actually put your feet all the way up in the air which then makes it a little bit more unstable and actually brings your spine a little bit into more of a neutral or even flex position, which can help like relax it for people who might get like back pain from arching massively all the time. So then it's a good variation to be able to still get bench work in without stressing the lower back. But also you can do like a close grip feet up bench. So you can vary the grips or you can do a feet up bench with a pause on the chest. Same thing with the closer grip. You can do a closer grip with a pause on the chest, or you can do it touch and go to get a little bit more overload. Or even if you really want, you can throw maybe in like, I, I don't really give it to anyone, but I've gotten it before from Mike Teixeira. It's like a two board, a three board to a close grip to just really hammer those triceps in that, that lockout position of the elbow. Yeah, there's, with bench particularly, there's like limitless combinations you could do with this stuff. Um, and, and it's really just figuring out what you need as a lifter. Some of it could just be for fun. Like if you just want to do it 
why not? But, you know, once you figure out what you, like, what your bench needs, what, what it's going to gain the most from, then you just start playing with these variations um, and test them out. You know, do one for five weeks. If, if it doesn't go very well, then try another one. Yeah. Um, the the other one that I give sometimes usually I give it more in a in a dumbbells so I don't know if I want to put it under this section so I put it under accessory work but I do sometimes give it with a barbell and that's barbell incline press because we're so focused on the flat bench and even with our flat bench we're so focused on arching as much as possible and making it like a decline so you're using a lot of your pec that's your sternocostal heads and you're not using as much of the uh, clavicle which is more of like the upper pec or whatever you want to call it um, mm-hmm. So for a lot of people, they they lack in that upper pec and doing some incline work can help build up the bench because you're just working the upper pec and still working those those delts and triceps in a more of an incline position. And I like giving a higher incline because if you give someone like a 15 degrees from the ground or like 30 degrees from the ground, they'll go and they'll arch on it and it'll kind of turn back into a flat bench. So I try and give up like more of a 45 degrees or 60 degrees to like force them to actually do an incline bench. Yeah. Almost, almost like an overhead, close to an overhead. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of the incline too. Just a different, a different uh, angle to hit the, your pecs from. Uh, different stimulus. You're not going to get that from from the flat bench. And, uh, and if you're someone, I've noticed if you're someone who is very reliant on like, like I said, the powerlifting bench, a big arch, driving the legs, maximum grip, reducing that range of motion, focusing a lot on, on like I said, that decline position you go to incline and man you suck at it like yeah, I, so I can hard. i can do like on competition bench i would do like whatever 225 for reps 275 for reps and then i go to incline i'm like 135 for reps is just difficult <laughs> dude so hard yeah yeah i agree uh which probably is an indication that we should be doing it more but um yeah and what else you got floor press on here yeah, with jump floor press, I just wanted to go real quick to overhead press. I mentioned that not everyone always has access to an incline bench. Sometimes at powerlifting gyms, you just have the flat bench that you can't make an incline out of. And so if you don't have access to an incline and you don't want to do something like crazy setup where you get injured, then instead you can do a barbell overhead press, which is just to focus a little bit more to the delts, but you're still getting some of that pec and then you're getting still delts and triceps. And again, you're switching away from that decline position and going more to an incline or straight overhead position. So again, with overhead press, if if you're very technical on your competition uh, bench as a powerlifter, your overhead press will, will suck too. So like, I think my strict press max was like 195 and a push press was like 225 when my competition bench was at like 315. You strict pressed 195? I don't think I could fucking do that. <laughs> so maybe something we got to work on for you. <laughs> I don't, dude, if I could still strict press 135, I'd be shocked. <laughs> I haven't done it in years, but um, yeah, I, I like the overhead. And also, try not to uh, try not to body English it too much. Uh, no starting strength overhead where you're leaning all the way back and trying to turn it into some weird bench variant. Um, try and keep maximum tension and, and stay upright, so you're actually you're, so you're actually hitting your delts and, and your pecs. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to like injure your lower back from leaning over so much trying to uh, flat bench and overhead press. Yeah, not advisable. Uh, and then if and then now we can go to the floor press, which 
This one, I wasn't sure where I want to put it or, or how I want to put it in there because it also depends on how you're built. So what I'd say is for someone who has like short forearms and like a barrel chest, when your elbows touch the floor, the bar is basically going to be at your chest um, or maybe literally on your chest before your elbows even touch versus if you're someone who has like very long forearms and a smaller torso, then when your elbows touch, you might be at like a half bench. You might be at like a two or three board. So it's going to vary on how you're built, what kind of effect it has. But in general, again, it takes away the arch. It takes away the leg drive. You have a little bit more stability compared to the feet up bench because you're laying on the floor. Your entire back is on the floor. Probably feels a little bit better for your shoulders if you're someone who has like very wide shoulders and hangs off the bench. But depending on how you're built, I would say like if you're someone, again, who's the bars getting at your chest or very close to your chest, then it can be a good variation for hypertrophy because you're getting that full range of motion. Yeah. Um, I actually been, I've been programming these a ton because a lot of people I'm coaching don't have access to a bench, but they have a barbell and weights. So during, during quarantine or, or, you know, not normal circumstances, this is a really good tool to use if you can't access a bench, just floor press. I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah, definitely. With with all these variations, because there's so many, then you want to know the reasoning behind them or the goal for implementing them. And so then you can pick which one you want for what scenario. So like I said, you might want to do an incline bench, but there's no incline in the gym. So instead you can do a barbell overhead press, or maybe you want to do bench, but again, you're in quarantine, you don't have a bench, or maybe you're at the gym and the one bench is taken. So then you can do something like a floor press instead of a feet up bench. Yeah. Yeah, you could sub a lot of these in and out. Um, I think that's it for hypertrophy, right? Yeah, I think those are the big things that, again, extending the range of motion, taking away that arch and that decline position, taking away the leg drive, and then maybe focusing on some of those other things like the triceps, the upper pecs, and the delts that kind of get neglected. Yeah, and programming-wise, most of these are going to be higher volume sets, higher volume across the week, um, just because you're trying to trying to build up that volume, build up the fatigue, and, and get that hypertroph- hypertrophic response. Yeah, so you could even do like, let's say you do your competition bench, three sets of five, and then as your second ex- exercise, you can then do a closer, closer grip bench and do three sets of eight or two sets of 10 or something like that to get more of the higher rep work in. You can do shorter rest times, you're getting more time under tension, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, myo reps too. Big fan of myo reps. That's not on here, but uh, you ever use those? I, I I use myo reps mostly for accessory work, like on on cables and stuff like that. But I, I guess you can use them for these exercises too. Well, we we Jordan used to give them for bench, and I still use them all the time for bench. I mean, you're going to be doing like forty percent or something, you know, really light. Um, but dude, you get the craziest pump. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's insane. It's basically just a, a way of getting a bunch of volume in uh, in a really short period of time. Um, I don't think there's any magic to it, but I, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it was, yeah, it was the big time thing. I had one lifter, uh, Bobby, up in the Northeast, and uh, he liked doing a lot of bodybuilding stuff, and I'd give him 
every single exercise you can think of. Like I'd even give them the abs and calves and, and forearms and everything, not just like the powerlifting stuff. But it gets to be a lot because he was doing like the competition bench for five sets and maybe a competition squat for five sets and then doing like four to six uh, accessory exercises. So I said, hey, let's just start doing some supersets. Let's start doing some mile reps to kind of shorten down the time so you can get all the work in and get out. So that's why we focused more on the accessory work, like a, a lat pull down or something like that is like, hey, just do mile reps, knock out a bunch of reps and then go home. Yeah, that's a time management thing, too. Um, all right, let's talk about strength. What do you got for strength? Yeah, so for, for strength, again, some of this stuff will overlap, but I do like the longer pause for strength work, again, to kind of get comfortable in that bottom position, spend more time in that bottom position to strengthen up. Because for most people, especially if you use, again, more of that powerlifting style, the big arch, wide grip, everything like that, your weakest portion is going to be from the chest to maybe a couple inches off the chest. So whatever we can do to build up that area, then it's going to obviously increase your strength. Yeah. Just increasing time under tension in that position, basically. Yeah, and then the other thing with long pause I'll, I'll do sometimes is as a, like a, a power day, or if you want to call it a dynamic day or speed day or something like that, is like just doing like triples with like 60% on like the day after their hypertrophy day. So, so they're still fatigued from the hypertrophy day. We can't do like a necessarily a full strength day on the competition bench. So we'll mm-hmm. do like a two count, two count pause bench triples at 60% focusing on building up that bottom position with like as explosive as possible off the chest kind of like reacting to a press command in a competition hmm, that's interesting I've never never experimented with that that's a good idea um, what else you got so the next few you have are, are talking about overload right some, yeah, some so, overload yeah, so with the the pins and boards, those are kind of, again, interchangeable depending on your situation. I know the typical powerlifting method is to use boards, but the thing with boards is like you may need the actual boards. You need to have the right ones that you want. Then you may need someone to hold the boards there for you. And then there can be some differences as well with the bar resting on the boards versus the bar resting on the pins. Uh, so I kind of switched more to pins lately because a lot of my lifters will train by themselves or maybe they have one person who needs to give them the lift off in the spot anyways, and or they might not have access to boards. So it's okay, let's just set the pins to the same height. So just like I've mentioned the like mid-level pin squats in our, in our squat episode, you can do like a mid-level pin press for, again, overload work. And then same thing with board, like a two or three board for overload work. Yeah. Boards are actually just tripods, by the way. They're, <laughs> they're used for putting your phone on and recording your set, and that, that's it. Yeah, so if someone's using the boards for tripod to film their their whatever, their, their trap bar deadlift, then you can go do pin press instead. <laughs> I use them for both, but most people use them for tripods. Um, yeah, I, I like the boards and, and the, the pin press. It allows you to, to hold something over, um, over your 1RM, maybe just get a little bit of overload and, and get comfortable holding some heavier weight, um, some mental aspect there to not... You know, just to feel what it feels like to have something heavier in your hands prep you for for your actual 1RM. Yeah, and depending on what you have access to, you might have more options with a pin. So, like, if you're using a combo rack, you might have more hole spacing to set your pins exactly where you want it. Whereas with boards, you might only have that one inch or one and a half inch differences as you're going up the boards. Um, with the boards also you could switch it to something else like I know some people for like a half board might just put like a a small plate on their chest 
to get like a very, very small board close to the chest because like for the raw lifter, again, that's where you're gonna be weakest. So just focusing on that little bit instead of doing like a two board. And then yeah. also with the pin, sometimes I will do chest level pin press. So they try and get the pin set up where the bar is just above their chest or maybe very lightly touches their chest. So they have to bring it down there and then basically relax those muscles a little bit and press from a dead stop from that difficult position. Yeah. I've done uh, spoto presses too for that same that same purpose. You won't be able to go as heavy, but yeah. Yeah. And the, and the same thing that I mentioned from the, the squat, when you're doing the bottom position in the squat or the bench press, it can be difficult starting from the bottom position with the bar beyond the pins and trying to get underneath that bar and try and set your arch or like that. So I like to do it where people set up the same way with the bar in the actual hooks and then the pins set your chest level. So then you can actually focus on doing your whole setup, doing your whole unrack, doing the descent, and then you just stop the bar on the pins. So it comes to a complete stop, you're not bouncing off of it. And then from that dead stop, you're pressing up. Yeah, as close to comp specific as possible, or at least trying to incorporate some elements of specificity in there. Um, It just helps you practice, it's good practice. Um, Yeah, and then the, the same thing with the floor press. If you are someone who when you floor press, you are at like halfway down, then you're doing a half range of motion and you can build that as a strength movement. So then you can do maybe a overload with the floor press and either with your competition grip or maybe slightly more narrow to kind of get your your range of motion exactly where you want it. So it can be an overload movement, not only for um, for being able to do more weight, but sometimes when I'm transitioning to more frequency, it's a way to add in some more volume without it being the full range of motion. So you can kind of like slowly ease them into more volume and more frequency with a limited range of motion, which will hopefully eventually help build more strength. Mm. Yeah, um, big fan of all those. I don't like the slingshot. I'm just throwing that out there. Not a fan. <laughs> But personally, I'm not a big fan of the slingshot or any of the variations either. Most people don't have access to it or they don't have access to the right ones. They're like, oh, yeah, there's one at the gym, but it's like a massive one for someone who's like 300 pounds and, and benches like 600 pounds. And meanwhile, they're like 130 pounds with like a 200, 150 or 200 pound bench. So like sometimes it's not the right fit or anything like that. But what I've noticed with some people who have tried it out, a couple of my lifters like years ago, the first time they tried it out, I don't know if it's maybe just too much weight or something like that for them. They felt almost like shin splints, but in their forearms. Like it was like, it was so much of like an overload for their forearms that maybe they got some kind of damage in the forearm muscles and maybe some kind of like small damage in the forearm bone. I'm not sure. Uh, So I've stayed away from it for most people. One of my lifters, Tim Mercer recently has been doing it as, as one of his variations for his last bench day as high rep work, like sets of eight. And he seems to like it and he does well with it and doesn't bother him or anything like that. So I did find one person who can handle it. <laughs> Just him. Only yeah. Tim. But he's also not overloading. He's using it for volume. So it's probably not going to be super heavy. Yeah, you're doing like a, a volume overload more than a intensity overload. Especially since this is his last day of the training week. So he's already done all his other work. And it's just like a way to get in some more volume in without necessarily stressing that bottom position as much. Right. Um, all right. So now we move on to everybody's favorite accessory work. <laughs> People love these. It's just, it's just a <laughs> fact of life, man. People love accessory work. I, I don't know what to tell you. 
<laughs> I don't know what kind of people you're hanging out with. Everybody does a hundred percent adherence. They tell me how much they love accessory work. That's it. Yeah. So as I mentioned during the the hypertrophy part, like. Uh, I didn't know if some people would consider barbell overhead press as like a bench variation since it's not a bench, but I put it in there anyways. But in the accessory work, you can definitely do incline and overhead as accessory exercise, and you can do it with a dumbbell instead of a barbell, again, as an accessory work. So those come back in. The first two I have in there are dumbbell incline bench and dumbbell overhead press. Oftentimes, I do like putting in more dumbbell work after like their main competition bench or maybe their competition bench and like a close grip bench is again to get that um, imbalance if they have one side that's weaker than the other then the dumbbells will show that yeah I do um, I think I give almost every single person I coach unilateral dumbbell presses after their bench day uh, for that specific reason just trying to catch up their weaker side um, to their stronger side and um I think it it allows somebody to actually focus on pressing instead of trying to like, you know, kip a press or, or cheat it somehow. You, you literally just you just have to press it. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of the unilateral stuff for the overhead. Also, the incline I've done unilateral too. It's a little awkward because you have to balance yourself, but um, <laughs> but but I like using it sometimes. Yeah, with the overhead too, some people have trouble just like with a barbell getting the grip that they want and getting the bar to rest on their chest and the bottom and figuring out how to press up and push their head through and all that stuff like that. So the dumbbells give you a little bit more freedom, some more range of motion and uh, different angles to work with. So then it become a little bit easier for people to be able to do a dumbbell overhead over the barbell. Yeah. I uh, also like neutral grip for those instead of like the, you know, like a barbell grip. Um, but that's just, that's just preference, I think. Um, what else you got? You got dips? Dips. If you can handle it. I know some people get pain in the bottom position of the dips, maybe from too much like shoulder flexion. But if you can handle it, dips can be really good as far as like a body weight movement just to kind of build up your body weight strength. And then as you get stronger, it's add more and more weight. So I know people have done dips with like 145 or 245s or 345s and just really hammering out those triceps. Yeah. And th- you can... um there's a lot of versatility with the with the dip bars so the closer your grip the more tricep dependent the less torso angle you have the more tricep dependent um i see a lot of people when they do dips they'll they'll lean like all the way forward or they have like a like a pretty big degree on their torso angle and i find that that's more hits the pecs more just a different stimulus um, so you could do both. It just depends on how, one, how your grip is, like how wide or how narrow, and also how much of an angle you're using when you when you use the dip bar, the dip bars. Yeah, so you can play with it. You can do the parallel bars or the ones that are like slightly angled and figure out whether you like more of a narrow uh, bar or a wider bar. You can mess with all these different things and figure out what feels best for you so that there's like no pain. Um, but once you figure that, that out, then it, I, I like pushing it not only for reps, like maybe eight to 12 reps for just like body weight work, but also every once in a while doing like five sets of five and seeing if you can do like whatever, like I said, one plate or two plates for five reps really builds up that strength in those triceps. Yeah. Um, tricep pushdowns. This is a personal favorite. Every <laughs> variation of it. I love them. 
That, that's like a, a go-to for everyone. A, a lot of my programs, I just put in triceps in there and they can pick which exercise they want. And yeah, like the, one of the most default things everyone goes to in like a general gym, but even in powerlifting gyms, is tricep pushdowns on, on the cable, whether it's with the rope, whether it's with the straight bar, whether it's like with the easy curl bar, um, one arm, two arms, all of the variations. Yeah, there's there's so many variations. Um, I do these pretty much every workout. Even when you don't give them to me, I do them at the end of the workout. <laughs> I just like doing them. They're, they're just fun. That's all. Yeah, and you can, like there's so many variations where you can do like overhand, underhand, all that stuff like that. So you can keep it um, varied and keep it interesting. But yeah, like the the main thing is keeping the elbows close into the sides, not letting them flare out, and then also focusing on just like moving at the elbow joint, moving the forearm. Because some people will kind of start like leaning their torso and different movements like that to try and get other body parts in it. Yeah. So you're doing different variations and you want to do a lot of weight, but focus on doing it correctly. Elbows in close to the side, trying not to move the elbows, just focus on moving the forearm up and down and then doing whatever variations you like. It really hits that lateral head, that outside head of the triceps. Yeah. And you get a nice wicked pump. <laughs> Chasing the pump, man. So it's all about. <laughs> I mean, once I started doing tricep pushdowns all the time, like once a week or you twice a week. A, you don't get a pump anymore. <laughs> Especially because I always use like the same thing. I always use like the the rope on the cable and kind of do the same reps. I don't get as much of a pump anymore. So yeah. then I was like, let me see what other variations I can do. And one of the variations I stumbled upon, which I put here, is called the Tate Press, which comes from Dave Tate from Elite FTS. And what you do is instead you lay down on a bench with dumbbells, just like in a flat bench position. And then you kind of bend your arm in towards your chest. So you guys can go look this up at tape press. So you're bringing your, the dumbbell and your arm towards the center, towards your chest. And so then the elbow's going out to the side. So then that kind of movement kind of mimics a bench press a little bit more of like that lockout position with the elbows flared out more. And I feel that a lot more on the inside of the triceps or more of that long head and medial head. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, I, I get a wicked pump or, or a very different feel with this movement because you're stretching more of the inside rather than the outside. So I really like doing the, the tape press and I've given it to people and they like doing it. It's a different movement. And there are, are some pros and cons to it, like the size of your dumbbell. If the dumbbell head is like really big, then your range of motion is going to be shortened because you, you're going to touch the chest much quicker. So yeah. there are some some little issues with that. But again, you're working the head's a little bit different. And then when you because you're using dumbbells and you're using one side, see if it's stronger than the other side. Yeah, I've never done those, but I'm down to try them. Some, some, <laughs> something new. We're giving them to you next session. Yeah, put them in there. Uh, and then you got chest flies. Love the chest fly. Uh, love it with the, the cables. Love it with the dumbbells. I love them. Love them on the floor. So like, this is actually my favorite variation of it is like a floor press, but just a chest fly. Um, I used to get shoulder pain when I would do these on the bench. Like if I would go too far, um, it would start to feel a little, little iffy. So I just started doing them on the floor and I actually found that I got, I got a little bit more of a, a pump when I did them laying on the floor yeah i know a lot of people try and like chase that stretch or that bottom position too much and yeah then you're you're 
shoulders might kind of fall out of position. You might get some impingement going on or some kind of pain. So you want to make sure you're doing them right. Um, trying to pull those shoulder blades together a little bit, making sure you have your elbows bent a little bit and going through the range of motion that you can handle. So you can go through a small stretch and maybe over time you're going to build it up or you can just go to that small stretch and pause. And then from like kind of like a dead stop, squeeze the pecs together and come together. Um, but yeah, all variations are good, but most people don't have access to that that fly machine like in a commercial gym. So a lot of times I just give people dumbbell chest fly, just like lay down the bench. I know uh, Shiko loves doing it as part of his exercise uh, programs to really build up the pecs. Yeah, if, if Shiko does it, then we should all do it. And and try and keep the, the reps higher on this so you can focus just like on lighter weight. Like I said, going through a range of motion that you can handle and just taking your time, doing it right, focusing on squeezing the pecs and bringing the arms in together. So you're focused on most of like working those pecs. So I do like eight to 15 reps. Yeah, yeah, these you got to be careful with because I, I think there is a little bit more of a uh, little bit more room for injury on these if if you go too heavy or you start um, going into a, a weird longer range of motion that maybe you're not used to. Um, so yeah, just go slow and try and control it as much control as possible. Actually, that that's should be for all of these for all accessory work. Uh, control is a big variable, so not just trying to. Um, slam through these and do them as quick as possible. The more control, the more time under tension, the more uh, the more deliberate you are with these, the more the more bang for your buck, basically. Um, that's all you have on here, and I'm gonna push back a little bit on you because you don't have any upper back work for accessory work, which you we're gonna do this stuff anyway on deadlift days and back days. But I think that that's a huge part of building building a big bench or building a good bench is is a lot of a lot of upper upper back work some trap work some rear delt work uh i know you program it you give it to me um but just some people i think overlook it as part of the bench and think that like it's just a delt tricep pec thing um but the more stable i think the more stable more meat you have on your upper back, the more upper back strength you have, the more stability you're going to be able to create in the bench um and you'll you'll probably see a pretty big gain from it. So I give all my athletes. I give a lot of upper back work. Uh, I thought you were gonna push back with more pressing accessory work, and then you no, come think, and throw throw in the pulling work. I think we I think we got enough pressing accessory work. <laughs> we we went over um, some of the pulling exercises, like you said, during the Della variation episodes. You can always go listen to that and talk about what we talk about the different vertical pulls and horizontal pulls. So I was trying to focus on just the accessory work for actual pressing muscles yeah and, yeah and if you and if you look at this it's more of a focus on triceps and uh front and side delts and then a little bit of uh peck in there with the fly but we're, i really stay away from like dumbbell presses or other flat press anything that's like more peck work because we're already doing so much of that peck work with the, all the different variations of the bench press so then it's like okay making sure the triceps and the delts don't lag behind but again yeah you can go listen to the deadlift episode but yeah the back work is even if it's not for strength it's just for imbalances to counter all the pressing we do people are benching two three four five times a week so you want to try and match that with yeah more rear delt work trap work lat work to kind of counter all that yeah 
I'm just I'm just being a thorn in your side. That's I, all. I, I thought you'd come in with like skull crushers or like overhead uh, dumbbell <laughs> extensions. No, no, any of that stuff's fine. I mean, it's fine to do. It's just they're just different types of movements that we've already talked about. Just do some JM kind of press. Yeah, JM press. Oh my god. <laughs> push ups, diamond no. push ups. Arnold Arnold press. We didn't talk about Arnold press. <laughs> yeah, Arnold press, French press. Danny DeVito press. <laughs> What's Danny DeVito press? I'm just being an idiot. <laughs> I'm going to make it up and call it the Danny DeVito press. <laughs> um, all right. I think, I think that pretty much covers everything you need to get your bench on track. Uh, obviously, programs of, programming is a factor and getting a coach is a factor. But if you're on your own and you're writing your own program, these are some tools that you can use to improve. Um, just figure out what, what works for you, figure out what you need, and then go from there. It, it takes a little bit of self-assessment and being uh, self-critical. But if you could do that work, then you can figure out which of these is going to work best for you. Yeah, it, it's about assessing yourself and then picking which exercise goes for what you need. So like if you need technique work, slow things down or pause longer on the chest so you can figure out the positions properly. If you need more muscle mass, then focus on longer range of motions, taking away that arch and that leg drive, maybe focusing on lagging muscles like your triceps. If you need just all around strength, again, you can focus on building that bottom position since most people are weaker in that bottom position. If you happen to be someone who uses like maybe a close grip and has lockout issues, then you can use like the boards and the pins to work on your lockout and then do all the accessory work, whatever is fun and interesting. And again, builds up the lagging muscles, triceps, delts, rear delts, whatever it is, longer range of motions. You can do uh, dumbbells so you can work on imbalances, stuff like that have at it yeah and eat a shit ton of food and drink a shitload of water and make it nice <laughs> later <laughs> <laughs>